No, because why I was I'm just flexible born. I'm just a natural born killer. That's why. That's right. He's back. We didn't get enough of him a few weeks ago, so we invited him back for another chat today. Hope you enjoy this part two with our returning guest, Fabian, also known as Spartacus Conchalara, today on Bobby and Jens. So we had him on the pod just after Flanders a couple weeks ago, and now we have him back just after Perry Roubaix. Fabian Conchalera, welcome back to Bobby and Jens. Hello, everyone. Hello. Man, I tell you, you know, like Flanders, you won Perry Roubaix multiple times. So super interested to hear about the race from your point of view. Uh, what were your takeaways from Perry Roubaix this year? I mean, we had solo wins in both the men and the women's races, and it was a beautiful day. So from somebody that actually won this race multiple times, what were your takeaways uh, compared to when, when you were doing it? Um, I mean, <clears throat> honestly, it was a real nice race. It was an awesome race. It was kind of a perfection of a race that Team Ineos, if we go into the details of that race, I mean, they did deserve it winner, the deserve it team that have won the race. I mean, it has been super excited to watch and uh, chapeau to Dylan van Barle and the whole team because, I mean, yeah. What what do you want to say more than that? Because I think the way they wrote, the way he wrote, and those details when 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 even the after the race interview from Dylan van Barle when he said, hey, Kwiatowski came to me and said, hey, I work for you today because you're the strongest and we support you. And, and those things, I mean, gives me flashbacks on the past with Studer Grady, but also the team when he said, look, we had a plan, we followed the plan and they delivered in, in all the ways. And, and of course, they had also punchers and bad luck with Ghana and with Kwiatowski and so on, but they never give up the plan because... Stefan Küng was my favorite, but he said it by himself. He did a small mistake. He went for a P. And at the moment when this came, the echelon came. And he said, look, I knew it's going to be a long race. I know it's a long race, but have you seen who was always in the front and, and really dealing in this race? It was Ineos. I mean, they've been on all the levels. They just lead the team. They lead the race, and then on the end, they get the deserved win. Simple fact that is, right? One hundred percent. I mean, I when they when they put it in the gutter, um, I definitely questioned, like, wow, they're really starting this pretty early. And I was, you know, thinking, gosh, what are these guys in the back going to do? And like you said, you know, it was a long race, so you knew it was probably going to come back. But man. When you're on the front foot instead of the back foot, like Stefan Kunga and and um, and Wout Van Aert was back there, all the favorites were back there because, like, they're told in the meeting, "Do not put your head in the wind until you know you're getting towards the the Ehrenberg." So, man, I'm sure you would have been in that second group because you would have been instructed to to do so. But yes, all around. Great race. I know what that means to Team Ineos. They've missed that one um, the last, you know, since the inception of the team. And man, you, you can't dispute that they had an amazing classic season. Uh, when I when I turned on the um, the race that's going on right now, the Tour de Alps, and I saw some other jersey other than an Ineos jersey winning the stage, I was like, oh wow, that hasn't happened in a while because they've been on quite the tear. But um, the women's race, unfortunately, I did not get to watch the women's race live because I participated in a five-day mountain bike stage race in uh, near Brevard, North Carolina called the Pisgah Stage Race. And Saturday was the last day. I have to admit, I was way out of my element. I don't know how to go down technical descents at all, let alone as fast as these men and women were going. 
So I missed it. So Yenzi, you commentated on the the race. Fabian, you may have watched it. Tell tell us, tell me and the listeners your your takeaway from that race. Well, it it also started um, early enough, you know, with uh, the action attacks from the start. Um, they had less of the um, flat section without any cobblestones because the race is shorter, so they went more or less straight into the business. And um, Team Trucks Alfredo did well. Um, they had okay. They, they lost the world champion um, because she uh, apparently had a sticky bottle for too long. Um, but they managed first and third place, so they dominated uh, that race. But my pick of the day, Mariana Foss, was out with COVID. So my favorite wasn't even starting because she just got uh, infected or she just got that virus a few days before. So that was a bummer for me. But beautiful weather and a great race. Well, you know, I'm going to have to go back and watch the, the relive then. But uh, back, to, back to you, Fabian. You know, if you remember at the end of our last podcast a couple of weeks ago, I gave you a little bit of homework. So explain to our listeners the origin of the nickname Spartacus because it's a pretty badass nickname that you've just been able to you know grab onto with both hands but how did that start um to close that and to finish uh, the about the nickname i mean we have had eastern so and the first time um since I have that nickname, I have watched not the Gladiator movies. I have watched the proper Spartacus movie that I think he's four hours or three and a half hours long. And I must say, I was really impressed on it. And again, when I come back in terms of what the real name is about and from where the name came, I mean, it has started in 2004. At my young age, as a professional rider, I was in Fassa Bortolo. Then in this team, we had uh, Roberto Petito. I think uh, you guys, uh, you should still know him. He was also this domestic rider in the front and pulling in the Fassa Bortolo jerseys and those in the oh, yeah. cycle years. And he, is, he actually lives around Rome, north of Rome. And he came one day to me and he said, hey, you have these large shoulders, you, you, you look like a strong guy and, and you're not so thin, you're actually quite muscular. And the way you, yeah, the way you race and so on, hey, you are, you are the Spartacus. And he said it in a way of this Italian way, not in Spartacus, he said more Spartago. So he said it in another way that I said, yeah, cool, thank you. And yeah, nice, I have a small nickname. But honestly, this nickname was not really used or, or said from others around. It was more from him. But then I changed the team. I came to the CEC years where, you, where I met all you guys. And this after that came more and more. And I think... <clears throat> This name, sorry my voice, because I have been not so good uh, on the weekend, so um, I have not the best voice, but I give my best. Um, this nickname, when you, when you really look and hear the Spartacus name and you, you see how, I mean, he died, <clears throat> sorry, he died on the end, but the thing is, I haven't died, that's the big difference. But on the other hand, when, when you watch in the movie, he was humble, he was feet on the ground, he was the guy that took care to the other slaves. I mean, we had in the movies when all the big ones came and they said, yeah, I mean, you have to do this, you have to do that. I mean, he has had his own way to do and he got loved. He didn't get hated from, from the people in, in the stadium when he'd been fighting against all the others and so on. I mean, no, I think what I loved about it is also I took care to others. When I looked in the team, when I look as a rider, I took care to the riders. I took care to the staff. I tried to get the best equipment for everyone, not just for myself. Okay, I knew at the game, Fabian, you get the newest bike, you get the newest wheel, you get the best thing. I said, yeah, of course, it's nice. 
but I want this for all the others because we are warriors. And when we want to win the fight, we have to have all the same equipment. And that's why, I mean, I think that's why on the end, this nickname, when he has born or when this name came, I laughed at the beginning, but by end of my career and many years after, I see a lot of similarity that this name was made for me, that this name came to me because maybe you, Bobby or Jens, you, you could probably more saying that, no, he didn't care. He was an ego. He didn't look at us. I mean, he was, uh, he was another dude that uh, thought he's the bling bling master. He is the man that uh, lives his life and he doesn't care. So I think I'm just the opposite of that. I think um, this is what is me. This is from where I came from. I'm half Italian. My father has been a worker. My mother has been a worker. I come out from a worker family and we had to fight for it, but still feet on the ground. And yeah, that's, that's the story about, about that name. And uh, I think it's a nice name. Uh, I like the name because it's not just the name that uh, was pointed and then there's no sense behind. I think the name has proper sense behind. And I think on one hand, I'm, I'm proud, I'm happy and, um, and really, yeah, yeah, I think it's cool also on the other hand to have that name because when you go to races and then you know you are the Spartacus, you have your your team around you that also fights, that also gives everything because you try to give them also. I mean, I did certain races where I said, no, today, guys, it's not me. Today I support you, I help you, I do the best I can for you, I do the sprint for you, I defend, I do whatever it is to do. But then when the big day comes, and now they are, be they are behind me and they support me. I think so somehow, I think, yeah, it's part of my story. It's part of me. It's my personality on the other hand as well. And, and, and that's also nice. For our listeners, I can confirm Fabian did take care of us as well. For example, once he did a major job in helping me to save the Tour of Germany, I could win. Or that one magic day in the Tour de France when Fabian was in a break, he waited on top of the Galibier. I joined his wheel and then he did lead us down on the downhill. We rode like madmen in the valley. We almost dropped our own teammates so fast where we going into, I can remember the climb in the Pyrenees. Hotakam. Exactly, Hotakam. And we did uh, start the tour win of Carlos Dastro on that day. We did eliminate a lot of other riders. And Fabian was so fast on the downhill and in the valley. Remember how Frankie Schleck tried to bring us some water bottles. He couldn't even pass the group to give us bottles because we were going so fast. I was so glad to have you there. So yes, you did help the team a lot. That is for sure. 100%. And one quick question, Fabian. You also had on your frame, on the top tube, uh, some dices, Würfel. Yeah. What were where did that come from and what was the number these two dice were showing and why was it this number? Um so it was lucky number seven. So this is my number that has also during my career this number has has really made beside the Spartacus name and the gladiator, the warrior, the fighter. <clears throat> this lucky number seven has been coming out in so many so many ways if it's and this is a crazy example but it is the truth i won the prologue in london on 2007 7 july the seventh day of july so it's a seven 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 and whatever there is even today i mean whatever i'm going maybe i'm gonna i going into a hotel room and it's the room number 34 Three and four is seven. I go on a parking spot, parking spot 18. Okay, eight minus one is seven. <laughs> I mean, it can be the day, it can be the month, it can be the house number I'm passing with the bicycle or I have a meeting or whatever there is. It's just every day what I'm doing, I don't say I search the number seven, but it pops out in whatever, which direction I'm looking or whatever it comes. But even I don't think on the number seven, suddenly it pops out. 
And that's why, I mean, Rohan Dennis has this crazy thing with the pedal stroke. You might need to ask him one day also if he's also crazy about numbers. And he has also something. He needs to finish a certain pedal stroke after every bridge. So I have just the other thing. I'm just crazy about numbers. And even if it's kilometers, if it's the day, if it's hours, by end of the day or by end of any accumulation of numbers, it has to become a seven. And that's why with Roger and on plus the mechanic that we created or this came up together. When you do a bike race on my time or on our time, we have been mostly on the classic rise races, eight riders, right? So, but I had seven lucky supporters. So seven guys around me, seven guys I needed to help me to win bike races because if we are six it's different but we have been seven so seven helpers and myself going into the fight to a race so that's why also i had lucky number seven uh, supporters around me they helped me to win bike races so that's why seven i forgot about the little dice uh stickers that you had up there that's awesome that's awesome i i'm uh like that as well i think there's a lot of athletes out there that have some some favorite numbers um, and whatnot. But hey, listen, so we're going to do something a little bit different this week. You know, we got Fabian Conchalera on for the second time. So we're going to flip flip it up, make it a little bit more exciting, get our listeners involved. At the end of the podcast a couple of weeks ago, we shouted out like, hey, if you have any questions that you want to ask Fabian, please send them our way and we'll make sure to get through as many as possible. So what do you say, Fabian? You game for a couple of these? I'm on. I think uh, they des- I mean, your listener deserves now that we put some questions up from them because I think, uh, yeah, it's the same. Without them, uh, you two guys, you're nothing. And I'm on plus. No, no important guy that does the podcast with you. No, I think it's like fans are needed. And they're important. That's why I think it's really cool. You guys, are you doing that? And you implement some questions from from your fans and from from the listeners, especially. Hey, we're the people's podcast. You know that that's us. That's that's me and Jens. You know, we're just normal dudes. You know, just trying to trying to have fun. So before we dive into these, because I'll let Jens uh, read the first one, I gave you a little bit of homework and I asked you about. The motor incident. So this is going to be my question. I don't want it to be long because it's it doesn't justify an answer, but I know a lot of people are wondering. Let's get the final word on <laughs> Bobby. the whole... Bobby. Yes, sir. Don't start with that question because you know where are the engines. It's left and right. It's your legs and nothing else that pushes you. Boom. That's 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 the answer I was looking for. Let's move on. Yenzi, take it away. Alrighty. I love it. So end of story, everybody. Left leg, right leg. He has not one, but two engines on his bike, two motors on his bike. Drop it. Fantastic answer, my friend. Awesome. Hey, um, first question is from Ace Modian. Your position on the TT bike was terrific. How much time did you spend on flexibility training and what kind of stretching you do to be able to be that flexible? Uh, oh, that's. <laughs> I'm really, laughing to myself. No, you know why I need to laugh? Honestly, I have done for. I just have done the last couple of years some stretching and some flexibility training because I got older. But before. I honestly, I never done proper stretching or flexibility training. <laughs> Good because, answer. No, because that's why I was laughing. I'm just flexible born. I'm just a natural born killer. That's why. Fantastic, <laughs> yeah, buddy. No, yep. but, no, really to finish that proper. I, I think Mother Nature has given me some flexibility. That's definitely the case. Even now I see I'm still really flexible. But of course, with the age and the older years I had also in my career, I also started to do more stretching. I worked on more core stability and so on. But at the beginning, and this is what is blasphemy, that today everyone does it. 
as early stage, but I honestly, I never did it. But I mean, I remember when we had that this, with, with Specialized, we had the, um, the Dr. Andrew Pruitt. I remember when he done flexibility, not uh, yeah, flexibility tests to see how much you can actually stretch and non-stretch your legs. He always has been impressed because uh, he always pushed and pushed it. Are you okay? He said, yeah, you can still push. Yeah, but damn, we are already really on the limit. He said, yeah, but you can still push. And so that's why I have this mother nature. And thanks to God and thanks to my parents, I have been just this flexible boy. But just a quick uh, add-on. You did spend a lot of time on your TT bike, yes, right? You did train a lot. So yes, of course. I mean, sorry to finish that, Jens. You've been uh, actually the, the, the perfection into the details. And plus that... I have trained also on the TT bike. That's definitely the case because that's also helped me to 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 work on 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 all the position and all the muscles and so on, and to feel great on a bike. Because when it comes to how much wind tunnel testing you have done, how much track testing you have done, I think when I look today, how much they do, I have done definitely less than they do today. But that's also do all those technical new things that are on the market that they can just easily go on on a track and to do proper testing than on our time. But I think I have done good stuff, right stuff, and the, the, the best stuff on that time to really work on it. But by the years I have won all those time trials and prologues, I became more fatigued. And that's why I started also to do less And then when I restart a bit the motivation, I had to do the proper training again. That's why it was a balance on everything. Well, our next question is a great segue from that last response. So Ed Markey, um, his question is, thank you, Ed, for sending in the question. What do you think about Chris Froome's suggestion of contesting time trials on road bikes for safety reasons? That's, I mean, sorry. Then we can go with the, how called, the supported bike assistance on the right and on the left on your bike, like kids. You know, oh, the training wheels. Yeah, the training wheels. I mean, <laughs> no, sorry. I mean, by all the respect to Chris Froome and, and these quotes, but um, time trial is a time trial bike. I mean, I mean, let's go with one gear on the bike race. I mean, no, this is how it is today. I think what already is changed is the UCI have the rules in their hands. So the bikes are on the UCI rules in terms of craziness. But if you train on a TT bike, of course we know it's not always um, the best because you go into a certain safety when you go on your normal roads at home, training roads, and then you go 50 kilometers, 60 kilometers an hour and you put your head down. I mean... No one said you have to put your head down. You have to put your head in the front and, and, and watch what is ahead of you. And I think, no, no go, sorry. I mean, it's, at, can you imagine you do a team time trial with road bikes? Well, we've done a couple of those, I remember. Yeah, me but, too. Uh, but when you need yeah. to travel overseas and you can't bring your TT bike, okay, no problem. But a time trial... It is made with the time trial bike because it's not just because of the beauty of the style that certain athletes are. Can you imagine Filippo Ganna will ride now with the road bike and doing time trials? No. I mean, Filippo Ganna has a perfection of a position to be on a TT bike. I mean, it's a beauty to watch. And, and I think, sorry, to see T Filippo Gan on a road bike. No, I mean, by all the respect to Chris Froome, by everything he has achieved, but that's wrong. Fantastic. Good answer. I'm with you actually on this one, Fabian. I'm with you. I like the beauty of the connection of the rider and the bike, the sound of the disc wheel. It is just wonderful to watch. I'm 100% with you. Okay, we have a question from Jerome van der Maas. What was the most brutal race you were ever in? The most brutal? Oh. They're, they're definitely popping out two races. There is Milano-Sanremo in the snow. There we had to stop 
because of snow and then to restart and definitely tour of California where <laughs> you remember that day as well. Bloody cold headwind, rain, Monterrey, San Luis Obispo, 101 highway. I mean, seven hours and I don't know, 15 minutes. It wasn't a hard, pushy day, but it was just so cold that I felt for many, many days fatigued, tired, and uh, I had no energy left. And, and uh, those days, I mean, you will always remember that been, has been the worst days. I think all three of us remember that day, and all three of us would have answered the same way. Um, that was intense. That was intense. So now we got two questions that are quite similar. One from Drake Clapping. Um, how did the legs burn on the Capel Muir in 2010 during the famous and beautiful attack? And very, very similar question. David Eldstein asks, what was your favorite moment of your career? And why? And was it when you, you dropped Boonin on the Muir in 2010? So I guess, how much did they burn? And, you know, was that one of your, your favorite moments? in 2010 during Tour of Flanders? I mean, the thing is always when it comes to, to those accelerations or those certain moves you do in, in those races, I think once it's definitely clear, on a certain moment you become into this tunnel mode where you forget left and right and you forget sometimes also how much pain you might have. And I, I remember only that I just continuing riding up this mur and I continuing to continuing until when I saw and looked back, oh, there is no one left anymore. Because when I now will say, okay, my attack was planned, then that's definitely a fake because it wasn't planned to go away on the couple mur. I knew it that if we not go now on a certain speed and if we don't accelerate, we might get caught from the back. So if you're in the mental world in this tunnel, I mean, I don't know how much my legs been burning when we went up this couple mur. Honestly, I can't tell you that. Uh, I just saw the numbers on the watts. I mean, pushing those 1300 watts for a shortened amount and then continuing everything along. I mean, I knew how much I pushed for the last uh, 25 minutes or 30 minutes or whatever it is. I mean, of course, if you look numbers, of course, if you watch the race, it must hurt. But the thing is, I can't tell you because I was just in this tunnel world. If you ask me if at the Olympic Games in 2016, when I stopped my career and I won the Olympic gold medal, that this has burned my legs or did, did I felt the, the legs been burning? I said, no, honestly, I can't tell you that because I was focused on something else than just thinking, oh, my legs are burning. I should to push a bit less watts. No, if you're in a mode, if you're on, if you're mental driven, you don't gonna think on if it was painful or not because you just go. If you arrive second, third, fifth, I tell you guys, then of course you're gonna remember how hard it was because you have not won. Because if you win, you break this mental breakness that you don't feel anymore the pain. I mean, this is how simple I try a bit to explain this question that came up because it wasn't Bonin's moment where I, I attacked him. For me, the moment in 2010, the crazy moment is actually when me on Mollenberg tried to accelerate. That was actually the moment of the race. But the rest is just tunnel mode. And this tunnel mode, I hardly literally difficult to explain in details even more. If you want to get more out of your free time, sign up to Outside Plus. For less than a dollar a week, you can get six print and digital issues of Peloton Magazine, exclusive membership content from Bellenews.com, access all the premium content from the whole outside family, including Yoga Journal, Backpacker, Ski, Outside Magazine, and many others. And that's not all. There are discounts of the hottest gear and biggest events, access to Gaia, GPS, and trail forks as well as virtual health and fitness courses. It's $350 of value in one 
$99 annual subscription. But if you head to valuenews.com forward slash outside plus and enter BJPOD25, all one word, lowercase, at checkout, you will receive our special 25% discount and make a good deal. Great. And now back to our chat with Fabian. We have a question from Rob Seegers. Who from the current Peloton out there does Fabian see the most similarities with the younger Fabian Kanzelara? Who out there is the new Kanzelara? Who is the new? I mean, there is no new. There's just a different type of riders that uh, are today or out there because there is, I think, Wout van Aert has somehow this similarity. I might not have been that fast, but that's because I didn't put enough confidence in that. Um, if it comes to the climbing, um, I haven't been so constant, good on climbs, but you guys remember when I had to be ready for climbs, I was ready as well. If I had to be ready for sprints, I was ready as well. But I think it was a lack of confidence probably on that. But on the other hand, I think, I mean, if I see today's races, then I see, yeah, I see quite a lot involved from, from my side. But on the end, I mean, yeah, um, maybe you can give me the right or not on, on that. If you have another name, you guys just tell me it. But this is the name I see. I think that's uh, yeah. a very perfect, perfect uh, twin um, cause yeah, I think if you would have, uh, concentrated a little bit, you could have done things, which is a perfect segue into this next question from Henrik Bo Werner Hansen. Is it true that Bjarna Ries wanted to convert you into a GC rider in the Tour de France? And did you consider this? Uh, I don't think he wants to, to turn me in to be a, a GC rider. I think what I can tell you is. When I came to the team up, I, I remember we have done some tests and fat measurements and weight balance and all that with the famous Aldo Sassi. Uh, he was the trainer of, of, of team up. And he said, if I'm going to lose five kilos, I might have a chance to win the tour. But the thing is, this five kilos at that time was more, was it now the weight in terms of just the fully weight was it the muscles or was the fat so i don't think i have ever lost this five kilos because of this combination with fat and muscle and i think we know that muscle just weights more than than fat because i mean yeah i have been always my 80 82 kilos uh, on those years and and honestly i mean i didn't think that um yeah to i mean I knew it, what it means to lose so much weight, to really change a lot of habits, a lot of uh, things I still also liked in my life because for me, food was something important. And that's maybe why I haven't been so focused to say, ah, oh, let's lose five kilos and let's do some diets and let's eat everything different. And then you look like a... I, you look like a tree that hasn't get waters like this, like, I don't know how you would express it, like uh, someone that is like sick because I, I knew it when I have been really skinny, I looked already like really anorexic, but could you imagine me five kilos even more? So I think my wife and all my friends will say, what the hell are you doing right now? Because I had always big legs. I had always a, a status of muscles because Remember, we talked about Spartacus, and I think my large shoulders has been just always muscular. So that's why it maybe was just too hard to lose all those muscles. And guys, I mean, to really be good on a GC in a Grand Tour, you need to be really skinny and you need to have also certain weight. And can you imagine? I mean, my doctor always said to me, Sorry, Fabian, but you have really heavy bones. So that's why it's if difficult. You might want to win the Tour de France one day. <laughs> and I, I believe also, Fabian, I think uh, I talked with you about this after you won the Tour de Suisse. And you also, you answered, look, if I do all these work, 
stop eating for the entire winter to lose this weight, I might be in a podium in the tour, but I never gonna win a time trial again anymore. I never gonna be good at the classics, right? Because a GC rider cannot win three times Roubaix or two times or three times Flanders. So it was a it was a balance for you, right? Yes, definitely. And and for me, this is life balance. Life balance in terms of uh, also having a life, having what I needed. Also, I needed to, those two differences because I sacrificed also. Uh, certain things in my life, but I wasn't ready to my go even deeper. It doesn't mean I was just too comfy, like too comfort to not do more. I did everything I could, but for one day races and my the, the most longest thing that I had a chance was actually this Tour de Suisse that to win, but not the Tour de Suisse with every day like five mountains. I mean, I knew it that when a one day hard day will be, I have certain chances, but if there's a second and a third day, no chance. And in the Tour de France, we know everyone that you have normally three days in a row where you have hard mountains. And with my weight and with everything I have, I mean, it's impossible to do three days in a row like that. The next question is from Etienne Guy. The 2007 Tour de France stage win, stage number three, We all remember that. I do because I worked damn hard to catch this group before. But you, so what were your thoughts when you caught the riders in the last kilometer? And as you caught the lead riders, you basically rode past them and just jumped right away, right? There, I mean, it was a legendary win. I was so happy I was there to actually see it. But give us your version of that. What did you think? So I don't want to stretch out too much, but. It was headwind the whole day. And Jensi, Stewie, I think also Kurt Asler, they've been pulling. And the guys in the front, they played a bit with us. So on a certain time, and it took us for hours and hours, this 230-kilometer stage, we tried everything on the end because we saw we're going to get short, that we might going to catch them. And everyone has given the maximum. And then we suddenly come into Compiègne, We came into this small road before we actually came to this last kilometers on the cobblestones. And my version, it's what is also what I, what, what sometimes people think, no, that's not true. But it was true because for me, it was clear to help in the front, to sprint the teams, to court back those riders in the front. Because if we will not make that, Bradley McGee will be in the yellow jersey because of the bonification and being uh, enough ahead and so on. And we will lose the jersey. So for me, it was just the defending mode of defending the yellow jersey and help the sprinter teams. But then we came to this cobblestone and I might been going a bit too fast in that cobbles. And this acceleration has caught that this rider behind me has made a gap. But I haven't seen that. I just continuing riding. Suddenly I hear in my radio, hey, go, 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 go. There is a gap. There is a gap. Just continuing. And I continuing. I passed the others and then just, yeah, they told me in the radio, don't look back. Go, go, go. You have a gap. And then, boom, I won a stage in the yellow jersey ahead of, yeah, ahead of the sprinters. Yeah, that, that was amazing. And that's the reason why I'm glad that you didn't try to lose those final five or six kilos to become a GC guy because the excitement that you gave us that day, the excitement that Wout Van Aert gives us, you know, weekly, that could all just kind of go away if they, if you lose that, that much weight, you know, we, we want to see you guys do your thing. The GC guys do their thing. And, um, that, that was phenomenal. Um, And doing it in the yellow jersey was, uh, yeah, that's just icing on the cake there. <laughs> okay, next question. Inigo Keller asks, looking back on the countless hours of training, which, you, which sessions did you like the best? Which did you hate the most? What would you change if you had to do it again? So what were your go-to workouts? What were your hated workouts? And what would you change if, if you had to do this all over again? Um, I think the craziest rides or the best training rides, I mean, it, the days when you go out training, you have five hours to do certain exercises. 
Then you go out. It's not, yeah, it's a bit chilly. The weather is maybe not so good. Then you might arguing in the, in, at home. You had some discussion. I don't know, your kids makes you grumpy. Things didn't work out well in the morning. And then you like this, not having this flow to really like, okay, these five hours I'm going to do rock and roll. I do everything in perfection. No. And then this small fatigue around you. And then say, damn, I don't know. And then your heart rate doesn't really go up. And that's, hmm. I don't know, maybe it's not the day to do really that training that is needed or is, is to do because my body was tired. It was now the body tired or just mentally you've been tired or what it was. So, okay, ah, come, I go, I go to a coffee and then sit in the coffee bar, having one coffee, having maybe small uh, croissant, then you drink a water and then you watch a bit the newspapers and say, damn, I don't know, today is really not the day. Ah, come on, you know what? I go home. And then you turn around, actually you go home. But the thing is, ah, come, I do a small climb. At least I have something done today that the trainer might see I did something. You do this climb, suddenly in that climb, certain things like, damn, it feels actually not so bad anymore. Hey, wow, there is something that is responding. Hey, my heart rate is actually not so bad. And you have find small little things in your training ride that you did this small climb before you came home to, to have this excuse to your training. No, you have actually found this puzzle pieces like you found good rhythm, you find um, your heart rate, you find good feelings, this and that. And these small puzzle pieces helped me actually that instead of this one climb, I don't like six hour training, I don't like a hell of a training, everything worked well. You came home as triple happy as you normally be after your training. And these are the trainings. You reached on a level that normally you said to yourself, no, I go home, it's not my day. You actually turn to being a really good day that you have won a mental training and not just a physical training. You have won against you. You beat yourself. And these are the training rights that I can tell you This, they have made me always triple stronger than just following everyday schedule, three hours, five hours, six hours. No, you do this exercise, you do that. No, I had also struggles. I followed the plans, but really honest, I had many, many days in my training hours where I struggled after this one or two hour training where I said, no, today is a bad day. No, actually, I found the way back. And these are the training rides that I can tell you I loved most, but it has been hard ones because mentally, but after that, it has become triple pushes. And that's why these are my best training rides. Fantastic answer. Here's um, the combination. Uh, a few people actually asked uh, this question about your famous chase back in a yellow jersey on stage seven in the 2009 Tour de France, when he came back from a, from a mechanical. Um, have you seen that video of yourself? And um, was that your best descent ever? Uh, <clears throat> if this was the best. I mean, for me, it was just going down and as down I'm going always. I mean, I saw it afterwards many, many times. And the one thing that scares me is that I haven't felt that car so close next to me in that last corner where everyone probably gets shocked. But the rest, now for me, it was just going down by flow, smooth. I haven't spent so much energy. Um, but for sure, that medical car that you all remember that in this crazy corner, I mean, I haven't had that feeling that I was so close. For me, it felt just, uh, he was just there, but not so close. But of course, it has been an amazing downhill and for sure one of the best ones. Well, <clears throat> I think if there's any young rider or anyone out there trying to improve their descending technique, they need to go to YouTube and or Google that descent because it was a masterpiece. And the best part about it was... I remember watching it live saying, man, he's, he, he needs to get going here. He needs to get onto the back of the group before the bottom of this descent. But you did it so effortlessly that 
you couldn't really tell how fast you were going. And then the next thing you see is the cars, the caravan getting closer, you moving up further and further. But it was just how smooth you were that it didn't even look like you were taking risks. And following you on, on many descents and even some t team time trial descents, that was the one mega thing that I saw was you just picked your line and you, you rode that arc. You never wavered. You never had any second guesses. You never tried to readjust your line. And it was, man, it was, it was just fast. It was just fast. But um, I told you I did that mountain bike race where I really struggled, especially on the technical descents. But on the road, uh, just to interject another question to this, is what is your secret to descending? We asked you your secret about riding the cobbles, but what are two or three things that people can think about that um, is your secret to success going downhill so fast? I mean, secret success, <clears throat> I think it's, it starts when you are young. Because when I have been, I mean, before the, the, the podcast, you said, hey, I'm still looking so young, but... I think it's not about how you look. It's definitely when you're young, and this goes to all the young listeners, <clears throat> try out not just the road bike and, and ride that for thousands of kilometers. I think today, when you're young, you learn most technical skills. If it's a pump track, if it's a mountain bike, if it's, if it's a... Uh, a gravel bike, if it's a BMX bike, if it's uh, on the track. I think all variations of technical bicycles at the young age are helping actually when you get older that you can leverage the technical skills. Of course, there are certain athletes and people that just have two left hands. They can't really, really be technical guys. But honestly, it's not against you, Bobby, but Bobby, if you have been on a younger age riding variations of bicycles where you rode on gravel, on mountain bike, on the track and all other things, I think today on the mountain bike you will have also kind of better skills and will be less scared because this is what I think today is the benefit for young ages and, and especially young kids how they learn and how fast they are technical and much, much better. Of course, I also need now to admit that by the last couple of years, I have also been less in that, in that world of variations of using other bikes. That's also where I see that I miss some of my technical skills to more improve. But when I go on the bike, I still being so much better than so much other friends around me, they're just cycling or they do other things because of the experience. But the experience is when everything has started, when I have been being a young kid. There is a, another question from Philocleon. Philocleon? He asked, whatever happened to you and the hour record? Because of, it was a project for a while, right? And actually, I did profit from some of the work you did. I choose the track in Grentien in Switzerland because you tested there before. So you did help me a little bit. But yeah, what happened to you and that project? I haven't sent you the bill, Jens. <laughs> Ooh, oh. <laughs> no, I need to change my address. No, 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 no. Listen, I mean, yeah. Um, yeah, we did a lot of work. I think this is what we can say. I had big motivation to do it. But then it came the difficulties in terms of which kind of rules are now the proper rules in terms of the hour record. Is it now Eddie Max, old school style? Is it now the modern record with everything modernized, technically uh, easy to improve things? Because today with all the aerodynamics and all the technical things, you can do quite literally on a computer, you can say what is possible or not. And I think my motivation is actually going the old school way. But then this back and forward, then people start to talk, journalists and blee, blah, blue, left and right. I have lost my motivation for it. Because then I put it on the side 
And they said, look, someone else now can do it. And, and you see what's now happened. I mean, the Merck's record is just gone. Now we talk just about differently. I mean, we have seen from Jensi's record, Rohan Dennis, uh, Campenarts, Wigo. I mean, all those guys, they have tried. Let's just wait on Filippo Gano. He will be the next one to beat that record because uh, it is how it is. Um, yeah, I have never tried properly. Um, I just have started that project. But like I said, I lost the motivation uh, with all those back and forward. I can tell you I still have a prototype, a prototype bike in my cellar that looks like this Eddie Merck style. We even tried to find with steel frame to make a steel frame to make normal wheels that we might can beat the record of Eddie Merck's because at that time there was no big rules. And then from that moment on, when I have started, they put out the new rules. And from that point, I lost my motivation. And that's why, Jensi, uh, yeah, you, you have been a deserved record, a world record holder. And um, I know it has been damn hard, right? Yes, it has. Yes, absolutely. Probably it's still at the podium of my hardest days on a bike, the, the hour record. Uh, definitely it is. Um, uh, maybe just another info um, about you and uh, the hour record for our listeners. We wanted Fabian to win Roubaix and Flanders. So 1st of January, he starts to train for these two races. Then we want Fabian to win the Polo Tour de France about two months later. So he takes a week off and then goes straight back into special training for the Tour de France prologue. As soon as the tour is over, we want Fabian to become world champion in time trial again or go to the Olympics. So and, and to do the hour record, you need three to four months proper preparation. So if the team would have asked Fabian to do the hour record, they would then have to go, okay, Fabian, we give you a free time during the tour or during the classics or during the world championships. So it was never a time where Fabian would have had three or four months to prepare for this one event. And that's why it just never really fitted in, in your busy schedule, right? Yeah, that's also, I mean, also another point to, to, to pull out that, of course, I mean, uh, in the team, <coughs> there's also certain responsibility. I mean, you've been a rider that you've been paid to win bike races. I mean, simply, simple as that. But of course, I mean, we also said, okay, maybe you, you go to the Tour de France and then, and then you just prepare specific a few days and then you're going to be ready on a track and for the hour record and so on. And I said, no, that's not me. And this is not the motivation that I can have for such a project because if I want to do it, I want to do it properly. It starts with shoe covers, non-shoe covers, which socks, which body suit you're going to wear, which helmet, which tire pressure, which, which tires you're going to use, which is your position. Because today, and this is what it's about, you can go into perfection to find every single details that will save watts in terms of that you can just push more. And then you can beat the hour records or not. So you're saying there's a chance of a comeback then? No, not me. <laughs> <laughs> then I need to lose. I need to lose a lot of weight to be even more aerodynamic. But what if we got you all that special stuff, you know, with Spartacus stuff and dice on the top tube again? I mean, you could you could do it, Fabian. Oh, you want to put it. me a Dyson on the back and then uh, a Dyson engine on the back? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, last last question. Um, then we need to wrap this up, I think. Alexander Karn. It's more of a comment than a question combination, I guess. Watching Fabian get himself to the finish of 2015 Tour de France during the horror crash was mind-blowing. Legendary courage. On the other hand, does he need... What more needs to be done to protect riders from heavy falls from racing? Because I worry about the riders who remount. Um, tell us a little bit about 2015, that horror crash, and what do you think about rider safety these days? Um, of course, this crash has become, yeah, it has just came, and then the, full, the whole bunch was on the ground, and, I mean, shit happens. It's the one thing. 
but um, of course that day has been brutal. Uh, I did my triple salto and I, I broke my my vertebra twice. And on the other hand, I think, um, yeah, I mean, crashes can come. Crashes can be caused also by young athletes. They think they're already the hero of tomorrow and they lose the respect to the older riders. But today also too much, also the teams putting pressure on the riders to stay in the front, to stay in the front. But guys, there's not space for everyone. But still, I mean, the bunch goes faster, more pressure, more people on the road. I mean, to go into those details in, in terms of of, uh, of that safety on road, I think we can have another podcast together. But I think riders should take care more in between and then the organizer can also do more. So it's a combination between the athletes, the riders, the teams, the organizations, the roads to find better ways to ride on roads and to do races where we will see less crazy crashes like we have seen in the last two years enough or too many fabian um one last question here um now that we have the um, the cobblestone classics done who do, who do you think is your favorite for the flesh wallon or even liege paston liege uh it's a good question guys i mean i would love to see uh excitement bike races because I mean of course I'm cheering for Mark Hirschi but I don't know how good Tade Pogacar is after his race rest curious about Valverde I mean and and with these variations of bike races in Tour de Alps changes of uh, Amstelgold and Paris-Roubaix I mean it's going to be quite a special race to see and to say, okay, this is the favorite. We do not have any main favorite to say straight away, especially for Liege, right? Well, I just read something today that Wout has changed his program and is going to do Liege's best on Liege. So I know that Flesh Wallone is, you pretty much name my top three, Maybe Chuck Alaphilippe in there because obviously Quickstep has had a pretty tough run of the classics, and you know that's that that dry spell that they're going through right now isn't going to last much longer. So with Alaphilippe, with Pogachar, with Hershey, you know that's that's pretty damn exciting. But for me, man, Liege with you know Rolik Rolik is out, uh, and and Wout is in. I mean. When was the last time we saw a big guy like Wout have a chance of winning Liège? Maybe maybe this year is the year. So we're going to have exciting racing. There's no doubt about it. But uh, do you think that Wout has a has a chance for Liège? I mean, I said it um, before Roubaix. I had no clue or I didn't know how good or how bad his COVID was. I mean, this is the, this is the thing. I mean, it looked like he didn't have a bad COVID because if normally you have a COVID, we have seen enough riders, they're not competing anymore so good, so quick. And it looked like he didn't a proper recover. And um, he might can have now with Roubaix this little peak to the next week, but still, I mean, yeah, it's, I don't think, uh, I mean, it's possible, but it's also not possible. It's now really depending the race and, and, It's a lot of climbing. It's a really tough race. And um, to put him really as a favorite, I mean, it doesn't give me this to say that. Sorry, Bobby. Mm. Well, that's why we race the races, right? With a race to win, not to entertain. No, but then it might look the others are clowns if he's going to win. Because then they damn, he is the new Eddie Merckx, kind of, right? Because, I mean, he is good everywhere, and I think he is good everywhere. I believe that. And, and I trust that he's super good, and, and he's this new modern bike races, a bike rider that uh, will be loved the way, he's races, uh, the way he's racing. But if he comes out on a certain sickness, then maybe the others are not good anymore, or not as at good that might they have to be on those races. Because with all the circumstances, a lot of riders been sick, 
a lot of riders are out. A lot of riders has this. They have other plans. Then the Giro d'Italia. So maybe there is a chance that we have Wout up there. And if it's like that, hey, chapeau. If not, then it will be another one. That is correct. Fabian, it was an absolute pleasure to have you as a guest again and to catch up with you. We're happy that you feel better. Your voice was really good. So no complaints from our side. Thanks a million for being our guest tonight again, Fabian. Thank you as well, guys. And um, yeah, looking forward uh, for the next time. And uh, yeah, all the best. Stay safe and don't forget uh, yeah, to ride your bike. Well, that's all the time we have for this week. And a huge thanks to Fabian for again being our guests. And you can catch part one of our chat with Fabian by searching for Bobby and Jens wherever you get your favorite podcasts. You can also go back and check out our chats with other classic icons like Johan Museu, Tom Pidcock, Lizzie Dynion, and Elisa Balsamo. Thanks a million for listening. And please give us a five-star review and share us with your friends. The show was a Bella News production in association with Shock Giraffe. The producer was Mark Payne, and this episode was edited by Tim Moza. Remember, if you want to get in contact with us about the podcast, you can join us at Bobby and Jens on Twitter and Instagram and share your thoughts. Just like Simon Bugge Jensen, who said this about our last episode with Jonathan Waters. Great listen. JV is always an interesting character and really good points regarding the business model of cycling. Thanks. And next week, join us again on Bobby and Jens with a great conversation with Freddie Ovet from the Legion of Los Angeles. Mm -hmm.